0: Hello and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we will be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high-conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Uh, Hi, everyone, and welcome to the uh, April 19th edition of Macro Minutes. Uh, The past two weeks have been characterized by an extension of the bond market sell-off amid escalating worries about inflation, central bank tightening and QT in North America. The new dimension of this round of higher rates is that yield curves are steepening, a situation that we haven't seen since early January and is at odds with normal behavior during tightening cycles. Uh, Fixed income volatility is very elevated and in a break from past tightening cycles is likely to remain high for at least uh, the next uh, few months. Uh, the dollars remain strong. Uh, the DXY is above uh, 100 recently. Uh, equities are down a few percentage points uh, during this big bond market growth that we're seeing, uh, but holding in quite good given the speed and magnitude of the move uh, in bond yields. Um, and equity volatility has been well behaved, which contrasts with the very uh, high uh, bond market volatility. Uh, so to help us navigate the fixed income currency equity and equity vol landscape, we have a full slate of uh, experts on the agenda today. Um, Tom's going to tell us about the U.S. economy. Uh, Peter's going to enlighten us on what's happening in uh, Europe and the UK. Uh, Adam's going to tell us about uh, FX trades if the negative returns in bonds and equities continues. And uh, Laurie in equity strategy uh, will tell us, um, you know, why we think equities have been resilient and what we've learned uh, in this reporting season. And last but not least, uh, Amy in equity derivatives is going to discuss the equity uh, vol landscape. Um, so to begin, I'm going to kick it off with some thoughts about Canada, uh, North America rates ball curves, and uh, levels. Um, so in Canada last week, uh, the Bank of Canada tightened 50 basis points. This was widely expected, and they also announced the beginning of quantitative tightening, uh, which is going to include the elimination of both uh, secondary and auction market uh, purchases. And in Governor Macklem's comments, he left the door opening to uh, the central bank moving above neutral, uh, or pausing before uh, reaching neutral, depending on the evolution of the inflation backdrop. Um, so the policy increment at the next meeting uh, is debatable uh, between 50 and 25, but I think importantly, uh, the upward impetus uh, to yields has now been drastically uh, reduced. Um, so the market is priced in the upper end of the range for the Bank of Canada's uh, neutral range estimate, and the risk to yields um, are now more two-way. Uh, with probably a greater chance that we've seen the peak in rates across the curve, which is consistent with our uh, most recently uh, updated forecast. Um, on rates volatility, uh, this is truly a unique, a unique cycle, like so many other aspects of what's happening uh, in the bond market. Um, so in the late 1990s, uh, U.S. rates vol, that was flat when the Fed was hiking. In 04 to 07 and 2016 to 2019, uh, rates vol fell uh, significantly through the tightening cycle. But this time, uh, there's such a wide dispersion of outcomes for macro and policy uh, that the market's confused and in flux. And on that basis, I don't think this elevated uh, level of rates volatility is going away anytime soon, at least until we get through the first half of the tightening cycles in uh, North America. Um, On the curve, um, you know, as I mentioned, the new themes that developed in the rates market has been a significant curve steepening in the past two weeks. Uh, the majority can probably be chalked up to the fact that the flattening in the uh, prior two weeks was a bit excessive, uh, positioning might have been a bit stretched, and maybe a little to do with uh, QT announcements. Um, so in the U.S., uh, Tuesdays, uh that's more than fully reversed the massive flattening that occurred uh, in the previous two weeks, and while in Canada the curve steepened by less, um, it has offset uh, the flattening over the same period. Uh, but history does show the curves uh, don't steepen in tightening cycles, and our kind of base case in Canada is, uh, steepening, um, you know, probably around Q3 and not in the U.S. until the turn of the year. Uh, so the greater steepening risks in Canada versus the U.S. are based on our relative policy rate forecast. Uh, so we see the Bank of Canada ending at 2% and, um, the Fed finishing at, uh, 2 and 3 quarters and the Fed much closer to market pricing and the Bank of Canada quite a bit below. So curve dynamics, they are pr- primarily driven by the front end. And unless rate hike pricing comes down, uh, this recent steepening should be viewed as temporary. And the risks of uh, higher long-end yields uh, are probably uh, very limited from here. And lastly, on levels, um, you know, yields probably you know, have a hard time moving meaningfully higher from here, unless there's a material repricing higher in terminal rates uh, in the U.S. Um, I'd also keep an eye on real yields. Uh, so the U.S. Uh, 10-year real yield, uh, that's moved about 100 basis points from the recent lows. Uh, now close to zero percent, and similar amounts in Canada with the 10-year real yield at uh, 50 basis points. Um, So this, I think, would be the primary mechanism uh, to tightening financial conditions, and if the speed is uh, too fast, um, it could cause uh, problems for um, other uh, risk assets. Um, So with that, um, now over to Tom to tell us about the uh, U.S. economy. Thanks, Jason. Um, so,
1: uh, just a couple of quick things. I'll try to keep my remarks pretty pretty brief here. Um, so, on, on Buller's comments yesterday, uh, you know, I, I know that um, you know, he's, he just says such extreme things. I think people sometimes um, wonder how seriously they should take him. I mean, look. I think you probably should take him pretty seriously. Um, uh, and, and uh, again, people who know us well know that over the years, um, you know, we, we have, um, you know, called him extreme to the point where uh, you wouldn't want to pay attention to him. But the reality is he's been right. Um, a lot of what he's been saying over the course of the last year has actually come to fruition. Um, so I think in that regard, you cannot discount the things that he was saying. Um, uh, you know, think back to February. Uh, when he was talking about, um, you know, sort of, you know, g- getting funds to um, getting 100 basis points of hikes, and by the middle of the year, um, people thought that was, you know, sort of heresy. And, you know, as we wrote then, this was back in February, we said, look, it's not our preferred way of getting to 100 basis points, but it's actually not a terrible idea. Um, I think the same thing is true for a 75 basis point hike. I mean, I, again, I, I, I don't think it's the worst idea if you're genuinely worried about inflation, and I don't know what the, what, what, what is holding the Fed up at this point. Um, so do I think they're actually going to do 75 basis points? I don't, um, but I don't think you can outright discount it either. Um, so it's just, uh, just just something worth noting as, as it relates to Pell. By the way, it's, it's not without precedent, too, right? I mean, and the Fed did uh, raise 75 basis points in in the not too distant past. Um, just one other quick thing here on on inflation. Um, you know, th- over the last week we we've gotten uh, uh, two of the big inflation reports. Uh, and, 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 again, very consistent with sort of our, our general um, line of thinking as it relates to inflation, which is to say you're going to start to see sort of core goods prices really moderate here. We saw that in um, core CPI, uh, core goods CPI. In fact, uh, you know, I think a lot of people made a big deal about, oh, it so was all used car prices. Yeah, but it really wasn't. I mean, if you look at all of the sort of the core goods complex, Everything moderated, every single key component within the core goods complex moderated. Um, that's exactly what we would expect um, to happen over over the coming months again. Do we think we're in the all clear on inflation? Uh, it depends how you define all clear. I mean, inflation is still going to remain elevated relative to target by the end of the year, but we think it will have moderated quite a bit. Um, and we think that if you look at the uh, PPI, PPI was pretty consistent with that idea too. I mean, there's some you know, sort of preferred measures that we like to look at within um, – Within PPI, intermediate uh, materials, core intermediate materials, has continued to moderate. Um, whether you look at it on a month-on-month uh, or a year-over-year basis. And what's interesting about that metric is that it tends to lead um, finished consumer goods by about four months. Um, and on a year-over-year basis, you're actually seeing um, quite a bit of moderation there now. So we would expect that in finished consumer goods, you'll start to see that too. So, you know, we think, again, from our uh, our perspective, um, inflation is uh, sort of moving in, in more or less the way that, that we would expect, and, and we still maintain our view that uh, by the end of the year it would be considerably lower. Um, that's it for me.
0: Okay, great. Um, Thanks, Tom, for the useful insights. Up next, uh, Peter, to tell us uh, what's happening um, over in uh, UK or Europe.
2: Thank you Jason um, and good morning everyone from my side. So um, I would like to speak about three things, first of all I would like to um, briefly look back on the ECB meeting last week, secondly I'd like to talk about the different makeup of our bond yield sell off compared to North America and then thirdly um, about our preferred trades. So first of all looking back to the ECB meeting last week, um, I mean they they remain in a tightening They have confirmed um, that they will end their QE program in Q3 as they had before, but they have now sounded much more concerned about growth, and we think rightly so. Um, The European landscape is marred by a stagflationary shock, as is everywhere, um, but we are in the epicenter of it. Um, And what you see is that um, the ECB's correction in in their growth projections was very mild, and we think they have to do more. Now, what they have done, in my mind, is, is amplifying the, the key difference that we're seeing in the bond market sell-off um, compared to North America already, whereas in North America, and Jason mentioned it, we already have seen a quite significant movement higher in real yields. This is not the case in Europe. Bond, nominal bond yields are keeping almost pace with treasury um, the treasury yields, but it is Almost predominantly, uh, is predominantly and almost exclusively driven out of Break evens. Our evens are rising and rising. 10 years are now above 3%, which is the highest level since the uh, euro's formation. Um, five, five years at 240, uh, which is well above the um, average that um, was, the, was in place before um, the pandemic struck. In fact, it was before the 2014 drop. So we're quite elevated levels. Uh, and now that the ECB has emphasized the growth risks once again, we've seen a significant jump in these breakevens again now we've also seen steeper curves um and we've also seen sort of a little bit of a repricing of the implied policy as a response to last week's meeting. Now, where to go from here? We think that eventually um, one or two things needs to happen. Well, either the break-evens need to come down as inflation starts moderating, or the ECB will probably have to sort of play ball with the other central banks and have to bring real rates up to um, curb these uh, inflationary developments. So we have advised real yield payers in Europe And the second um, trade that we currently like quite a lot is that uh, we think that the UK market should start underperforming Europe again because, again, Europe has been at such a um, mad pace um, and the next focus is going to be on the Bank of England. The um, impact on the UK economy should be smaller than on the European economies. So I think they are probably in a better place um, to to drive um, front-end rates higher. And and therefore, the 10-year spread in particular, which currently sits at a um, multi-month low to us, looks like a good tactical widening trade. So these two trades we like. And then I have one PS for you before I let you go. Um, On Sunday, we've got the second round of the French elections. Um, It has um, sort of earlier scared markets a little bit when the polls are very close. Um, It's Macron, the incumbent again, again, against Le Pen, uh, basically a rerun of the last election But the um, polls are widening again. They are in Macron's favor. So just keep it on your radar screen. It seems likely or more likely at least that Macron will remain in power. If he wasn't, um, it would be a big shock. And next Monday, you would see quite significant market move in Europe. Um, But our our base case remains that he will stay in the LEC. And with that, back to you, Jason.
0: Okay, great. Uh, thanks, Peter. Um, next up is Adam to tell us uh, what are the key FX trades if the uh, recent uh, negative returns in both bonds and equities extend further. Thanks, Jason.
3: Um, so, addressing quite a specific question this week, given that we're we're thinking in uh, cross-asset terms, and given that April so far has been a rather unusual uh, month uh, in terms of the asset market background for FX, Um, So yields higher, obviously, but yields higher and equities lower um, is not an environment that we've traded in uh, very frequently recently. Um, And we've got very used to, um, in my world of FX, an environment where bond yields and equity prices move in the same direction. That's been the norm, at least since the uh, GFC. And we very much understand how FX works in that kind of environment when uh, equities are rallying and bonds are selling off what we call risk on and vice versa. And currencies kind of slot into neat uh, performance positions in that risk parity, risk on, risk off, whatever kind of environment you want to call it. To look at environments where equities and bonds are both selling off together, as has been the case so far in April, um, you need to go back a bit further and be a bit more selective in uh, the periods that you look at. But in a nutshell, in that kind of market environment, what we found is – Rather than um, markets being directional to general risk appetite, markets become very, very dollar directional in that kind of environment. So when bonds and equities are both falling, the dollar tends to appreciate. And when they're both rallying, um, the dollar tends to broadly depreciate with little discrimination between currencies and little in the way of kind of cross-currents. It's just a broad dollar move against pretty much all other G10 currencies. So what I would say going forward is, even if we think a continuation of this kind of environment is a tail risk rather than a central scenario, and the rising yields, as Jason said, is modest from here, I'll leave Laurie to talk about the the outlook for equities, Um, but it's worth contemplating what happens in our world, um, or my world of FX, in that environment of parallel sell-offs in both of the major asset classes. And the answer is in that environment um, broadly the dollar tends to appreciate, and there um, there are a few cross cross currents um, uh, aside from that so um as I say it's not necessarily a central scenario, but it's um, worth uh, at least considering where is the hedge if we were to continue to get those um, negative returns in both of the major asset classes and the hedge for us in my world is being broadly long of dollars. Uh, Back to Jason.
0: Okay, very helpful Adam. Uh, Switching gears over to equities, uh, we have Laurie joining us today to tell us uh, why the S&P has been so resilient.
4: All right. So I'm going to spend most of my time this morning talking about why U.S. equities has been so resilient. And that really continues to be the key question that I get in my client meetings. Um, And look, I would tell you that I think there are really four things that jump out in my mind. Um, First, Sentiment, frankly, has been washed out for quite some time, and I do feel like a little bit of a broken record talking about this. Um, Those of you who have heard me recently have have heard me talking about this a lot, Um, but we're seeing this on a variety of indicators. And if you look at the AAII net bull bear survey, um, it's been down around minus 30 percent at various points this year. First, really touching that in late February, which was actually a touch below the pandemic lows. This is historically a very, very strong buy signal for U.S. equities. We tend to see 15.5% average gains in the S&P 500 12 months later, 86% of the time, and you do also tend to see pretty consistent three-month forward positive gains. Um, if you look at, you know, sort of the institutional side of the equation, we do view that that AAII data point as more retail. Um CFTC is also showing us that on NASDAQ and Russell 2000 futures position- positioning and asset managers, we hit some critical lows um, for 2020, 2021 on NASDAQ, 2016 um, for Russell 2000 before starting to rally back. Um, the other thing I would tell you is that at the March 8th low, the S&P came close to growth scare pricing. We saw a 13% drop. And that's very close to some of the drawdowns we saw in the 2010, 2011, 2015, 2016, and late 2018 periods, which all had drawdowns of 14 to 20%. Those were areas that we describe as sort of near-death experiences, where investors greatly feared the financial system or economy unraveling, but it didn't end up happening. Rebounds do tend to be fast and furious off those kinds of lows, with S&P moving back to pre-crisis highs within four to five months. Um, The other thing I would tell you is that the U.S. is really being treated as a safe haven in here. Um, we did a survey a few weeks ago, uh, really talking to equity investors. It's something we do once a quarter, um, asking them about their views on a variety of different topics um, and also where they wanted to be positioned. We found that about 75% or so said the Russia-Ukraine crisis would push Europe into a recession, but only about 42% said the U.S. would see a recession. And by a wide margin, um, the U.S. was viewed as being a leadership area over the next 6 to 12 months. Um, I'll move on next to what we've learned in reporting season so far. Um, you know, we will be watching stats around margins very, very closely. But what I will tell you is that the buy side was already very, very negative on margins coming into this uh, reporting season. Fifty-five percent called for contraction in our survey. Um, sell side numbers have been very resilient, actually moving up a little bit this year. They've been calling for flattening margins this year. But we really have seen that investors who really drive stock prices at the end of the day, with all apologies, you know, to my sell side colleagues, but but they have already been pretty pessimistic on margins. And we are also still seeing very strong signs of robust demand and a healthy consumer in the early reporters. We're seeing this from banks and consumer companies. We have had a few goods-producing consumer companies that have encountered trouble, car, uh, car companies, um, you know, furniture makers, household goods providers. Uh, but the services side of the equations, including companies like airlines, have really just been talking about how strong the consumer is. And with that, um, let me hand it back over to Jason
0: okay um thank you very much so one fascinating aspect of markets has been um equity vol behaving much better compared to bond market volatility uh to shed some light on the equity vol landscape i'll turn it over to amy and equity derivatives
5: great thank you guys for having me thanks jason so you know i'll start with you know potentially an answer to the question jason posed in the beginning which is while bond markets have been signaling fear and recession, why have equity markets been signaling relative calm? And, you know, indeed, volatility has come in pretty dramatically. That's the one. If you look at the SDEX, which is essentially the market's wing- willingness to accept a one standard deviation loss, that's in the 38th percentile over five years. The skew is quite below average. And then if you look at the TDEX, which is the market's likelihood of a three standard deviation drop in S&P, it's in its 45th percentile over five years. The tails are also below average. And then when we compare VVIX to FDX, which is essentially a way of saying, should you be hedging with VIX calls or S&P puts, uh, that's still trading relatively high. So S&P puts are more attractive than VIX calls. You know, look, we reached a high of 36 um, during kind of the initiation of the Ukraine crisis. And now VIX is only a little bit above pre-Ukraine war levels. I do expect that volatility is going to pick up somewhat as we go through earnings season. But I think a lot of the reasons that has contributed to this drop in volatility and to this overall calm is some of the countervailing forces in the equity market that Lori discussed. So, you know, we've seen the same CFTC and flow positioning data, which talks about both the institutional risk reduction as well as the broad hedging um, that has been deployed you know, two things do remain in in effect. One is strong corporate buybacks, and the other is retail demand. So when you think about corporate buybacks, it's artificially dampening skew in the equity volatility market. It's essentially acting as a floor uh, to that share price, and so that can change the skew levels from what they, you know, potentially really are. And then the second, in terms of bifurcation, is, is this retail option that we've seen so, you know, in past uh, times in the last two years, we've seen this explosion in call exuberance both in meme stocks like GameStop or AMC, um, as well as other names. We we continue to see that, and, and that's what I think is surprising. So a staggering fact is we saw 147 skew inversions in the Russell 2000, but two weeks ago we saw none in the queues. So skew inversions are when call buying is so extreme, it actually flips skew to be negative. Now, there was one change last week, and that was Twitter. So Twitter became the first S&P name to go skew inverted. It's now gone back, but, you know, I think with all the headlines going around that we're going to have to watch that closely as being another area of skew inversion. I will tell you, when you look historically at volatility, we looked at 30 years of data and we split the VIX into different volatility environments. Although it feels like equity volatility is low on a cross-asset basis, and it is, on a historical basis, we are in a much higher volatility regime. We've spent 75% of this year in what we would characterize as a medium to high vol regime. And generally, those regimes are not good for stocks. So if you stay in a medium volatility regime, which is a VIX at about 20 to 30 that goes to about a down two percent return in stocks if you look at the past 30 years and then if we go into a high volatility regime which is a vix above 30 this usually equates to a down of 10 to 11 percent on the stock market and high volatility regimes include 98 2001 to 2 two thousand eight nine, and then 2020. so you know i'll just end by saying you know what do you do with this kind of brave new world and volatility and this deviation from race volatility you know look uh, one thing i say when when i talk to clients about hedging is when there's a correlated move down you don't have to own the most direct thing because in a correlated move down all all things go down at once and and you just get that ball pop benefit so when hedging looks attractive as it does now, especially with the skew profile, you know, this is a time to deploy hedges. And we are seeing that in bond proxy ETFs like HYG, LQD, TLT, IEF, uh, and those make a lot of sense. But then also just purely on the S&P, it makes a lot of sense because in particular, while things aren't bleeding in now, while right now the equity market looks okay, uh, I do think when you look at the longer day tenors, it is an attractive payout uh, to look at those hedges. And I will leave it there.
0: Thank you for joining us today here on Macro Minutes. We'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Jason Daw, and I look forward to seeing you next time.
5: This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.